So in our good journey, we have been focusing in this Advent season on the journey to Bethlehem, and we took a look at one of those stops along the way, our stop with John the Baptist, who gives us the way to Bethlehem. And then last week, we took a look at the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Today, on this Shepherd Sunday, we focus on the shepherd's journey to Bethlehem that's found in Luke chapter 2, beginning at the 8th verse. Hear the word of God. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that we may hear the old story in a new way and that we may draw closer ourselves to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. In this age of talking heads and tweets and Facebook posts, It is an interesting piece of information that the most reprinted newspaper editorial in the English language came as a response to a question raised by an eight-year-old girl 120 years ago when she wrote to the editors of the then New York Sun. Dear editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon, 115 West 95th Street. The response to Virginia's query came from the hand of one of the Sun's editors, Francis Farcellus Church. Virginia, he wrote, your friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this 
great universe of ours, man is a mere insect and ant in his intellect as compared with the boundless world about him as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. Not believe in Santa Claus, you might as well not believe in fairies. The most real things in this world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not. But that's no proof that they're not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. Have you been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age? I wonder, with all the emails I receive and all the links that have been forwarded me and all the opinion columns I read and all the tweets I peruse and all the blah, blah, blah of the cable news networks, I wonder if Francis Farcellus Church's phrase, the skepticism of a skeptical age, isn't just a clear a description of our time as it was his time. We have learned to be skeptical. We have learned to be suspicious. We have learned not to trust. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so, writes the little eight-year-old Virginia, but we know better than that. Because we trust less and less of what we read and hear. Perhaps most of you are listening to this very sermon with a somewhat skeptical ear. Of course it's true that a little bit of honest skepticism is the mark of a healthy and mature adult. If you believed everything you read or were told, then you might get yourself in a little bit of trouble. If you believe that, we say, well, then I've got some swampland in Florida, I want to tell you. There's a sucker born every minute, said the great showman P.T. Barnum, and we sure don't want to play the sucker. But there's skepticism, and then there's skepticism. There is skepticism, and then there is cynicism. Ah, oh, the whole world's going to hell, we might say. The only two people I can believe are me and you, and I'm starting to have doubts about you. <laughs> We're all a bunch of crooks up there in Washington. Everybody's got their agenda. It's all about the almighty dollar. You can't believe anything you hear, and on and on and on and on it goes. And you can begin to feel like there is less and less hope. You begin to feel like the world's going crazy. You begin to feel like it's a circus down there and you're the one up in the stands. You begin to feel like you're on the outside looking in. There's them and then there's me. There are those in power and then there's us. There are those on the take and those not on the take. And the older you get, the more you think, the world's going mad. And you feel like you're on the outside looking in and you can get skeptical and you can get cynical. And you can wonder if there's any real hope of things turning around. 
Which makes me think of those shepherds that Luke is wont to tell us about. Those shepherds, he says, out in the fields. That's how Luke puts it. The shepherds were out in the fields. And the more you know about first century shepherds, the more you realize that the shepherds were not just out in the fields. They were just out. They were outside the circle. They were outside the temple. They were outside the rings of polite society. They were the ones doing the job that nobody else wanted to do. They were the ones that nobody really wanted much to do with. They were out, out in the fields, out of the way. And maybe out in the fields, they were managing to build up a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of cynicism, a little bit of resentment, tending the sheep of somebody else's fortune. It's no fun being out in the fields. Just like it's no fun being out of the loop. No fun being out to pasture or out of commission or out of work or out of touch or out of your mind or out of control or out of power or out of money or out in left field. No one wants to be out. Because when you're out, it means you're not in. And when you're not in, you feel this thing that's growing inside of you more and more that sooner or later begins to cloud your view and you begin to wonder what and who you can trust anymore. You get a little hard around the edges, a little skeptical, a little cynical, and pretty soon the eyes begin to roll and you pull back and you say, ah, what's the use? which could very well have been the sentiment of those shepherds when the angel appeared and told them the news that unto them had been born a Savior, that unto them a child had been delivered and wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, that there was the sign that things were going to be different for them and that all they needed to do was to make their way into town and begin looking for that wrapped little baby lying in a feed trough. That will be the sign, the angels say, that you're no longer out. You're in. Front row seat. God has this intention to bring outsiders inside. God has this intention to invite each and every child of God into that real and invisible world of grace and love and mercy. God has this seed that God wishes to plant inside every human soul, and it's the seed of belief. Believing that kindness and goodness and grace and love are the things of treasure and eternity. But you know, when you've been out for so long, when you've been out there for such a long time, when you have grown so adult that you've grown so cynical so as to not even believe in Santa Claus, it might even be hard to believe an angel. Ah, what's the use? The shepherds might have said to each other, what's the use? Yeah, sure. Got some land in Florida you want to sell me? Got some tonic to grow back my hair? Got some sure bet way to make a million? So maybe that's the discussion the shepherds have when the angels return into heaven. And maybe there's this pregnant pause. There's that debate they have between what you can see and what you can't see. Do we dare believe again? 
Do we dare believe again? Do we dare take the chance that the real world is the one we can't see? Do we throw in our chips, throw away our skepticism, and bet that God is trying to reverse course and that he wants first to start with us? He wants first to start with the shepherds. That somebody's got to take a chance to believe. And is that somebody me? You see, that's the thing. Somebody has to take the chance to believe again. A lot of us remember those periodic peanuts strips that showed the perennial outsider, Charlie Brown, who every year gets enticed by his friend, nemesis Lucy, to kick the football. She supposedly holds the football, and Charlie Brown is supposedly supposed to kick it, and every time, every single time, she pulls it away. And every new time, Charlie believes that maybe this is the time that she won't pull it away. And I'm not sure Charles Schultz ever let him get his foot on that football. And in our minds, that sets forth this debate, right? That sets forth this debate as to whether it's worth believing. No sense trusting, no sense believing, no sense taking a risk. Maybe that's what Frederick Douglass thought when he was out in the fields of his plantation owner. Out in the fields, suffering the yoke of slavery. Out in the fields, making somebody else's money. What's there to see? What's the point in believing? You can't see freedom. You can't see what it looks like if you run. But Runny did and became the advocate for abolition and human dignity. Maybe that's what Martin Luther King Jr. thought sitting in a Birmingham jail or a Montgomery jail or a Reedsville jail out in the jail. What's the use? They just keep throwing you in jail. Keep pulling the football away. Where's this world? Well, maybe there is this world that you can't quite see yet. Maybe there's this reality that is deeper and there is this skepticism of a skeptical age that we can put behind. Maybe there is this kingdom beyond what our minds can perceive and it just takes someone to believe again in that which you cannot see. Do to us what you will, said King, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we will still love you. Leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But but be you assured that you will, we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. Uh, our, one day those on the outside will be brought inside. That's believing in something you can't see. Kind of like another Lucy not the Lucy who pulls away the footballs, but the Lucy that stumbles her way inside a wardrobe in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and she makes her way to the back of the wardrobe, but there's no back, and what she discovers is this other world, and it's called Narnia, and it's got talking fawns and good lions and wicked witches, and it's, and it's, always, crisp, it's always winter and never Christmas. 
And she looks forward to telling her brothers and sisters the good news that there is this, this lovely, enchanted world that she's experienced, and what she's met with when she tells them is skepticism and doubt, and they think she's gone batty, but still she believes, and it's her believing that takes her back to Narnia, and she meets the lion, and together they defeat the witch, and those on the outside are brought on the inside, and the world can believe again. And isn't that what the angels were trying to say to those shepherds out on the field? It's time to believe again. In this skeptical age, it was time to run from our skepticism, our imprisoning skepticism. It was time to free ourselves, to believe again, to look for the sign, to look for the child wrapped in swaddling cloths, to look for that gentle baby lying in the manger. For to you, you outside shepherds, you, you out-of-the-loop shepherds, for to you, you precious you, have been born a Savior, a precious Savior born to a precious you. It's been said that the great 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher would carry inside his pocket a pocket full of precious stones, sapphires, emeralds, garnets, cat's eyes, and pearls. And every once in a while, when the world started turning against him, he would reach into his pocket and he'd take out a handful of those precious stones, those beautiful gems. And it would remind him that in this harsh world, there are precious things. And what beauty they bring and that he, too, could bring beauty to the world. And whenever he found someone who was on the outside, he would hand to them a precious stone to say, you're precious, too, no less precious than this precious stone. And if this lifeless stone is so beautiful, why can't you be? Why can't you believe again? And maybe that's what the angels were pointing those shepherds to, the beautiful jewel lying in the straw, the beautiful baby God reflecting and refracting the light of heaven, the one there to bring the outside ones in, the one there to say, you too are precious. You too are beautiful. And you too can believe again.